All right, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47 says this. All the believers, everybody say all. All, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all, everybody say all. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the church. Thank you for who you are, all that you've done and you're doing and all that you're going to do. Lord, help us as we hear this word. Help me as I preach your word, Holy Spirit, that we not only receive it, but that we apply it to our lives each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the subtitle in my Bible right before this verse is, uh, says the believers form a community. So the original idea of community, you've probably heard this definition of the word broken down, meant common unities, people with a common purpose, common values, and living in unity. Verse 42 says that they were devoted, the apostles devoted themselves and the disciples and the new believers to this community. Today we're starting a new series called Devoted. Devoted. It's a series about community. And I want to encourage you this week and next week and possibly uh, in two weeks, Pastor Ty is going to preach that Sunday. That's the weekend of the men's retreat. We will be back, but he's going to preach that Sunday for me. And so so we'll see. We're talking about it. He may go three weeks. It might be a two-part series. We'll see how the Lord leads. But it's a series about community. Luke, who wrote this book, by the way, the Apostle Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke makes it clear, makes a clear connection between being devoted to Christ and being devoted to the Christian community. The early Christians we read about in the book of Acts were not content with just to meet once a week for services as usual. They met daily. They cared for each other daily. They won souls daily. They searched the scriptures daily. And they increased in numbers daily. And all of these will start breaking down next week. See, their Christian faith, their walk with the Lord, was a day-to-day reality, not just a weekly routine. I'm going to say that again. Their, their walk with the Lord, their Christian faith was a day-to-day reality, not just a weekly routine. Because you may be saying, well, Brandon, why are you talking to us about, about community, man? We're here, and that's great. But what I'm starting to talk about today in the next couple of weeks goes deeper than the weekly church service. It was a community of believers that they walked daily with each other. Why? Because the risen Christ was living was a living reality to them. He was. And his resurrection power was at work in their lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. So today I want to show you the, the purpose of a Christ-centered community. I, purpose, I, not, I, I named it the purpose, but I, I should say the purpose and power and the impact that a Christ-centered community can have on us and the world around us. When we have this kind of impact, we will we'll have this kind of impact we live in and are part of a Christ-centered community like this. We see three things happened in this community that we just read about in these five verses. The church was unified, the Lord was magnified, and salvations multiply. Amen? This can happen again if we're devoted. Remember, we're devoted to the Lord and to other 
believers in a community. Amen? Come on. So let's break these down today. Number one, the church is unified, right? Let's go back to Acts 2, 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Verse 44, and all, say all with me again. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And then verse 46, they worshiped together. Come on, isn't it a blessing like this morning to worship together, right? They all worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. The Apostle Paul later encourages us uh, in his letters to the Ephesians to continue in unity. Look at Ephesians 4, 3, and 6. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. I like how the New American Standard says it, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And the actual, the Greek literally reads this, being eager to maintain or guard the unity of the Spirit. Right. We got to not only be unified, we got to work to maintain it. We got to be devoted. Right. I, I started thinking about right. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Right. Super Bowl is going to be later on this evening. Those guys are devoted to one another. They're devoted to the cause. They're trying to they're trying to win the, the, the highest right uh, prize in the NFL to the the the. the, the Hoist that Lombardi trophy this evening, right? And that's, that's, that's what they worked for all offseason. Most of them all their lives, they're not devoted. How much more you and I? We're, we're going after something way bigger than a trophy that's going to rust one day. Or some stats on the screen, right? Come on, we're, we're, we're united. We need to be unified and work to be unified. And continue. Actually, the, the verb is a present participle. It means that we must constantly be working at maintaining this unity. Just like the word when earlier I prayed about being filled with the Holy Spirit. That word filled is a continuous. It's a constant filling. You be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. It's not a one-time thing. Just like unity is not a one-time or should I say once a week thing. It's a continuous working to be in unity. Think about those of us that are married. Come on, let me see the married couple. Where you at? Let me see the married couples. Right? When you at the altar and in, in a ceremony with your, with your spouse, you probably made some kind of a vows to be unified with your wife or your husband, right? You made those vows that we're going to be unified. But how many of us know it's easy to say that at the altar? It takes work to continue on the years to come, right? Right? All the, all the married couples either smiling, shaking their head, saying amen, or looking mad at each other. One of the three right there. I don't know. So, but right? We're we all working together. We got to work together. We have to, with the Lord's help, right? Obviously, it's the Lord's church. That, and again, we're, marriage is a picture, Paul tells us. Of the church, right? The bride and the groom, the bride of Christ, right? And he is the groom. Now listen, the reason Apostle Paul encourages this, because when we think our unity is the strongest, Satan will move in and try to wreck us, right? See, the spiritual unity of a, of a home, right? Married couple, children, a life group, our church is, the responsibility for this unity is on each person involved, and really it never ends. We should constantly work at being in unity 
with one another. Amen. That's why I love like what we did this morning. I know other churches do it. And when we pray for for other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, other churches and ask God to bless them and to call them by name. I pass by one church every Sunday morning and I'm, 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 I'm often asking the Lord to bless them and bless their services. I get a text sometimes from Pastor Sean Walker uh, at, at the Bayou Church. Many Sundays I get a text and he's like praying for you this morning, brother. I mean, he's got his own services he's preparing for, and he and we've been good friends since we were youth pastors together, right? I love that. That's unity in the body of Christ, right? And so the more we do that, and you too, the more you do that, and you pray for other brothers and sisters, other churches, other pastors, right? You know, you do those kind of things. It, 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 we're working at unifying and keeping the enemy out from trying to cause division. Amen? So not only were they unified, but they were also devoted to unity in several ways. Look at Acts 2.42 in the Amplified says they were continually and faithfully, I love that, devote, de- devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles to fellowship and eating meals together and to prayers. See, these new converts, along along with the disciples, remember, this is the early church, just getting birth, right? We see Acts chapter 1, where the Pentecost, where they got filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus' ascension. So this is the birth of the early church we're talking about. They were devoted themselves to two activities primarily, the apostles' teaching and fellowship. So you got to see the, the grammar of the Greek sentence here sets these actions off as distinct from the following two activities that would define fellowship. They did all of them, but these were the two that it emphasizes here. The apostles' teaching included the Jewish scriptures that they've been reading all their lives, the Torah, right, the Psalms, the prophets, right, these things, uh, but also Christ's teachings, right? They had the Old Testament scriptures, but then everything they learned from Jesus, right? Uh, that's, that's what the apostles' teachings were. So they were in fellowship. The word fellowship is koinonia. It's a close, mutual relationship and participation in life together. It's more than just, we say that word sometimes among Christians as being in fellowship. And it's more than just a loose, like, you may go have fellowship with some people tonight to watch the Super Bowl. You know, I don't know. And that's fine, right? You get together, you watch a game, you eat some food, and that's all great. That's part of it. But it doesn't just stop with just hanging out with one another. Koinonia means a close, mutual relationship and participation in life. It also refers to sharing things with one another. Even though their fellowship did include sharing material things, its primary reference is to the ideas, attitude, purposes, and mission, and the activities that these Christians shared as they was moving forward and growing the church. The church was, was growing, winning souls, and ministering to people. Verse 42 says that they shared in meals, including the Lord's Supper. This shows, right, some, some translations doesn't include what the New Living does, but that's, it indicates that these early Christians probably ate together, and as part of their meal, or after their meal, they would use their common food like bread and wine, which was a staple in the Jewish culture at that time, to remember and commemorate Christ's death. And verse 42 ends with them saying, or with Luke saying, that they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, during prayer, the believers would have praised and thank God as well as petitioning him and interceding for others. That's what that word prayer means. That's what we try to do here every Sunday. We just did, right? We praise and worship the Lord. We focus on him first for who he is, right? And then we switch over. I I encourage you to surrender. And then we start petitioning God, right? If you have prayer needs, if you you were praying with us, right? Uh, As you're watching from LPCC, if you're praying, right? We're petitioning God and then then I'm interceding for you or you may be you were interceding for Pathway and Pastor Ben and the people in Turkey and Syria, right? So that's the formula. I say the formula. But the really the function of prayer that they were talking about here. This would also include formal times of prayer in the temple. You go the very next chapter, verse one, Acts three one. It says 
Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer services. They were still going to the Jewish prayer services even in the temple. And obviously they prayed together at other times as well. So see, here at Family Life, we try to provide this fellowship, this kononia, right? This mutual uh, participation in life with the elements of teaching God's word, prayer, and sharing meals in life groups. So as we just launch our spring life group semester again, again, we do this, and I'm preaching this again. I've been reading through Acts in my daily reading. I'm in Exodus and, and Acts, and as I'm just reading through this again, I was just stirred up again to encourage you. That's why we have life groups. We want you to live in close fellowship and koinonia with one another. Do life together so you have someone to share prayers and burdens and meals and, 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 and mission with. Amen? So if you're not connected to a life group, I want to encourage you, go in our lobby, check out uh, the different groups we have. If you notice, it's different this year. Pastor Dixie and our team did a great job decorating the lobby and, 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 and making it look different. But those, those cards with all the different life groups are still on there. Go check that out. If not, if you're more digital, hey, go to our app, go to our website. All of our life groups, the times, how you can contact the uh, the leaders on there. I want to encourage you. This is the kind of fellowship we talk about. Remember I said it's not just a weekly routine, right? It's a daily relationship in life with one another together. Amen? I want to encourage you to be devoted, right, to community here in the local church, right? And the church is unified when we do that. Number two, the Lord is glorified. The Lord is glorified. Acts 2, 46 and 47. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. See, the Lord was glorified during their fellowship, their worship, and their everyday life. The words praising God is a description of their spiritual state and really the mode and operation of their life. Luke finished up by saying that they all praise God. But this means something more than just praise that was a part of their worship. Yes, we just praise God using song and music and singing out, but it's more than that. This phrase is intended to describe their whole life as a life that praises God. He was saying that they only live to praise God and glorify their master. And guess what, church? We should do the same. The apostle Paul often began or ended his letters, his epistles to the church with the phrase, all glory to God in some form or fashion. Sometimes he'd say, all glory to God, all glory to God, uh, the, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One way or another, Paul was constantly reminding them he was giving glory to God and reminding them to do so. Let's look at one of those in Romans 15, 5 and 6. It says, now may the God who gives endurance and who supplies encouragement grant that you be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord, both of those speak of unity, you may with one voice, there it is again, glorify and praise and honor the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was encouraging us as believers, the church then and now, to glorify God, yes, with our voice in unity. But Paul also goes on to say that our lives should glorify God. Not just that Sunday morning singing, but our everyday life. Come on, church, are you with me? Look at Romans 12.1. He says, so I beg you, brothers and sisters, because of the great mercy God has shown us, offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him, an offering that is only for God and pleasing to him. Considering what he has done, it is the right, it's only right that you should worship him in this way. He's saying that our worship, the way we glorify the Lord, is more than just our singing, it's our lives, what we do every day. It, it should be our privilege 
to glorify Christ in our body and magnify him with our lives. Amen? There's two living sacrifices in the Bible that give us a good understanding of what this means. The first one is Isaac in, in Genesis 22. You know, when, if you're familiar with the story, God tells Abraham to go and make a sacrifice. And he says, Lord, where's the sacrifice? I'll show you. He tells him to sacrifice his son Isaac. We focus on Abraham a lot in that story. But look at Isaac. See, some people think and it may be depicted as a little boy, but Isaac was actually a teenager, maybe even a young man. And so he willingly got on the altar and to, to be the sacrifice that God told him. So Isaac willingly put himself on the altar and he would have died in obedience to God's will. But you know, the Lord sent a ram to take his place. If you're not familiar with that story, go read it in Genesis 22. Isaac, however, even though he lived physically, he died to himself and he was willing to yield himself to the will of God. When he got off of that altar, Isaac was like a living sacrifice to glorify God. So see, that's why I'm always encouraging you to surrender. He literally was willing to surrender his life. And even though he, God spared his life, he died to himself and what he wanted. Amen. And this just reminds me, you know, some of the things we surrender and, and, and we're willing to give up. God maybe want us to give up. I wonder sometimes like Isaac, because Abraham and Isaac, I wonder if God's just testing us to see if we're willing to do it. And if we're willing to give it up, sometimes he might actually give it back to us. You ever thought about that? So it's all about, God does, I said it last week and I showed you, God does test this. You remember I said I'm in, I'm in uh, Exodus, I was reading through Exodus, one of the chapters just yesterday, I think, or the day before, and it said how he tested the Israelites. When I showed you in Psalms, it says that God tested Joseph's character until his time for his dreams came to be fulfilled, right? So sometimes it could be a test. If we're willing to surrender, now some times we may have to let it go, but other times... He may give it back. The second illustration is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the perfect illustration of a living sacrifice because he actually died as a sacrifice in obedience to the Father's will. But he arose again, and today we know he's in heaven, sitting at God's right hand as a living sacrifice. He's alive again, bearing in his body, though, the wounds of the cross. He's our great high priest and advocate before the throne of God. Amen? So we see both of these they were willing. One did. Jesus gave up his life for us, and Isaac was willing to sacrifice their lives and even their bodies to glorify God. You remember I said last week, our whole purpose in life is to glorify God. Many ways we do that, right? Through winning souls, through serving, through worship, but our whole life is about glorifying God. Now, the word offer, where Paul says offer, or present yourself, your body as a living sacrifice. The word offer or present in this verse is a verb, and it means present once and for all. It's a command that's a definite commitment of the body to the Lord. Again, just as a bride and groom, going back to that picture, at the day of the wedding, and they, they commit themselves, they, they commit themselves to one another. What they're saying is that this commitment determines uh, uh, what they're going to do with their bodies the rest of their lives, right? We're saying, I'm saying, I'm going to be faithful to my wife the rest of our lives. And that's what he's saying to you. Offer your life, offer your body to the Lord once and for all, saying, I'm committed to you and you alone. Amen? And this glorifies God. Paul gives us two reasons for this commitment. It's the right response for all that God has done for us. Come on, how many of you thankful? I mean, look, Jesus died in our place. We were lost, we sinned, and we had a debt that we could not pay. And he provides a way to pay it for us with his own blood. Even if he stopped there and didn't do anything else, we still, right? But he's done so much more. Paul says it's our reasonable response, the right response. And secondly, this commitment is our reasonable service, or some translations say our spiritual worship to Christ. 
So again, praise and now even worship is more than just singing songs. Yes, we do that. That's awesome. I love to worship. I love lifting my voice and my hands to the Lord in worship. But what he's saying is our lives should be worship. Offer your life. Think about your every day when you go to work tomorrow at school. Hey, when you go to the, when, when you go watch the Super Bowl tonight, you may be watching it with some friends that are lost. Come on. Don't, don't yell and cuss at the TV like everybody else. Come on. Glorify, glorify God in your watching the Super Bowl, right? Right? And so, you know, we, we, we can enjoy things and have fun, but the way we live our lives can glorify God by what we do and by what we don't do. By what we say and what we don't say. How we live our lives, how we treat each other. Husbands and wives, the way you treat each other, the way you treat your children, the way you, the way you work and honor your employer, or the way you treat your employees, right? Your teachers at school, if you're a student, whatever the case is. Come on. Every day is a worship experience that glorifies God when your life is yielded to Him. And it all goes back to surrender. When you're surrendered, your life becomes worship each and every day. Amen? So one, the church is unified, the Lord is glorified, and then finally, thirdly, salvations multiply. Come on, somebody, this excites me. We see this first multiplication in in the verse before that we started reading, verse 41, where Peter's preaching to the crowds. Look what it says, Acts 2, 41. Those who believed what Peter said and were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Come on, that was a good day that day. I was, I was a good service, so that's a good message. 3,000 people. Some translations say 3,000 men, and including women and children. So we, at least 3,000 were saved and even baptized and added to the church. Hey, think about this. The first time the law was preached in Exodus 32, 3,000 people were killed. The first time grace was preached in Acts 2, 3,000 people were saved. Come on, isn't that awesome? And we see that when the Lord... Preachers of the grace of God, right? Yeah, we've all sinned and we've still broken God's laws. But then, hey, Peter preaches about grace and the blood of Jesus and how we can be saved in 3,000 people like that. Amen. Acts 2.47, again, we read it, but it goes on. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those that were being saved. This report summarizes the growth of the church up until this point. Remember, still early on, and this is the new church just was born. Uh, but it, it's one of seven uh, accounts in the book of Acts where it talks about how the Lord had multiplied or added to the church. Each of these concludes with a major advance of the church in its worldwide mission. Now, in general, at the time of Acts 2, where this is recorded, there wasn't a significant opposition against the, the gospel movement, but there was, of course, a different and who Jesus was. Now, you'll see a few chapters later where persecution really begins, opposition. The apostles start getting arrested, thrown into prison, and there's a lot more of that. You get to, you know, Acts chapter 7, you read about Stephen. Stephen preaches and, and gets stoned, uh, you know, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I love that, right? It's like, so it's often been said, it's like Jesus was standing up, rooting him on as he was preaching, right? That's the only time it's recorded that Jesus was standing at God's right hand. So you see, it does get, but at this point, the church is exploding as the gospel's uh, moving on. But we see that even as persecution goes on in Acts, the church continues to multiply. See, people trusted Christ daily, and the Lord added to the church as it steadily grew. The apostle Luke, as he's writing this, stressed that it was the Lord's work in causing the church to grow. The daily increase is described of a divine work of the Lord Jesus himself. Now, this is interesting, too. If you look at the wording, suddenly from he t- goes from God to Lord in that in that verse, in that short verse, And it's because Luke intended to describe Christ as the head of the church 
who was personally adding to its numbers, right? We're talking about glorifying God, but then he switched it to the word Lord, saying that, hey, this is Jesus. He's the head of the church, and it's him that's causing people to get saved and to grow. When people get saved, here's the application for us. When people get saved and are added to the church, we can't take credit for it, even though we are a part of it. Amen? We can't take the credit. We are a part of it, and God uses us. But God gets the glory for it, right? Going back to that. And it's God's work. And, and, and Luke was stressing that in these verses. The Apostle Paul also addresses this later on in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 and 8. After all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it to grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together for the same purpose. Come on, that's unity. Going back to the first point, right? And both will be rewarded for their own work. Amen? As a community of believers, we should be working together, unified with the same purpose of presenting the gospel to people and praying for the Lord to save them. Amen? Listen, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I was reminded in the first service. When I first got saved and my wife and I were working in youth ministry, I wasn't even full-time youth pastor yet. I was serving. We were serving with a, a underneath another youth pastor. And um, and we'd go to these conferences at, at, at the largest youth ministry at the time. And man, and it was, it was, it was, they were the real deal. Their, their, their motto was radical prayer, radical evangelism and radical discipleship. And they were, they were in schools all over their city. Uh, and it was, it was powerful. And, and the youth pastor constantly was talking about evangelism and winning souls and leading people to Christ. And I was, I was witnessing to people, but it's like, man, there was, a lot less people that I was actually leading the Lord, so to speak, like like closing the deal, so to speak, than it was I was witnessing to, and I was getting, I was starting to get discouraged. I was starting to realize, like, man, like, is something wrong with me? Am I not presenting the gospel right? Am I not holy enough? Not anointed enough? Am I not praying right? Until I started reading scriptures like this, and then I realized, you know what? My job is to present the gospel. My job is to plant the seed. Maybe Pastor Jacob already planted a seed. I'll come back by and water the seed one day. And it's the Lord who causes it to grow. The Lord's the only one that can save them. So then it took the burden off of me. Like, you know what? I'm doing my job. I'm being obedient by presenting the gospel. I pray for them. I love on them. I present the gospel. And it's the Lord that saves them. Amen? So you may be dealing with that. I just felt pressed to share that with you. If you've been witnessing to people and you feel like you haven't led a lot of people to the Lord, hey, don't stop. Don't get discouraged. Keep doing what the Lord's doing. Because I believe, I truly believe the saints. I've said this. I believe there's going to be so many people in heaven that we're going to meet, that we witnessed to one day, and we thought that it, 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 the seed never took. And I think people are going to walk up to us in heaven and say, hey, you remember that day you walked up to me at the store and you can't talk to me about Jesus? I'm here because you planted that seed that day. Or you watered that seed. Amen? We don't always see it. Sometimes we do. We, we've been blessed where I, I had been the opportunity, obviously, now in a, in a church setting, but I've been able to lead people one-on-one. But you know what? Remember, it's the Lord who causes it to grow. The Lord causes it to multiply. And again, this will, this will keep the glory focused on the Lord, and it'll keep the burden off of you. Does that make sense? Amen. So I just want to encourage you with that. Hey, I want to close with this, this, this report I just got, uh, from a, a ministry here. It's, it's, it's like a life group, but it's really an evangelistic outreach. It's really an outreach group. And, uh, it's called Helping Hands. And they go out the first Saturday of every month and they go to feed the homeless. And I was, I was told by the leaders last week that 
Last month, that led six people got saved. This month, eight people got saved through helping hands. Yes, amen. They said that's more in two months than that got saved all of last year through their ministry. Come on, somebody. That's multiplication, amen. That's the Lord multiplying. And it's them being faithful to do what the Lord's called them to do. And what's cool is the Lord's drawing people to them. They're faithfully going out to where the homeless are and, and bringing them food, but they're offering to pray with them. They're presenting the gospel. But he said, man, people are coming up to us and asking us about Jesus, right? Come on, that's the Lord's hand on it. They're being faithful to plant seeds, to water them, and now they're seeing a multiplication of souls, right? And I'm believing it's going to continue to increase this year. So again, the reason we're encouraging you to get connected in a life group is so you can experience the power and the impact of a Christ-centered, spirit-filled community. Amen? And when we do this, the church will be unified, the Lord will be glorified, and salvations will be multiplied. Amen? As I close, let me ask you a question. I've been talking about salvations and people getting saved. And, but are you saved? Have you been born again? You know, we heard about it, and I meant to talk... Uh, to, to the staff member in between services, and I forgot, but but I got an email this weekend about a staff member has a nephew in their 20s that tragically died just a day or two ago. And it's tragic, and it just reminds me, church, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed to make it home today, right? Are, are you saved? Are you born again? What are we saved from? Well, from our sin and from the eternal punishment that comes because of our sin. The Bible makes it clear that if we repent of our sins and turn to him, we shall be saved. Well, who can be saved? Well, Romans 10, 13 tells us everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not only there, you read through Romans chapter 10 and multiple times Paul says anyone or everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. He says earlier in that chapter, he said, if you if you could confess or if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, that word believe means to trust. That, that, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. But the Bible says we must repent of our sin and turn to him. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Even if you're watching right now online, would you bow your head with me and just, you say, Brandon, like that 20-something-year-old that young, young man, his eternity has begun. And, and, and if you only had one day left or today was your last day, where would you be at it spending eternity? Bible makes it clear we're all going to spend somewhere, either eternity with the Lord or eternally separated from the Lord. If you're not sure, today you need to call upon the name of the Lord. And maybe you are. Maybe you say, Brandon, I know I'm not right with God. I, I know that, man. I know that I've been living a life of sin. And I know that, that sin breaks God's law, but it also breaks God's heart. And I need to get right with the Lord today. If that's you and say, Brandon, that's me, man. I don't know if I'm right with God, but I want to be saved. I, I, I want to turn to Christ. I want to surrender my life to Christ. If that's you, just slip up your hand. And we're going to pray for you if that's you. Just slip up your hand and say, that's me, Brandon. That's me. I, I need to give my life to the Lord. I need to get right today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. If you say, you know what, Brandon? You know, one, at one time I was walking with the Lord. And I, I, I was walking with Jesus, but I've, I've gone away, man. I've, 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 I've slid off the path, and I need to come back. I need to re-surrender. I need to get back right with the Lord. If that's you, just slip up your hand and say, I'm, I'm that prodigal son. I'm that, I'm that prodigal daughter. That's me. I see your hand, man. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Sir, I see you. But more importantly, sir, back here, I see you. Hands still going up right here. Thank you, Jesus. 
Sir, I see you. The Lord sees you. Come on, those of you, raise both of your hands up if that's you. Say, I re-surrender. Tell the Lord right now, I re-surrender. So whether this is for the first time or, or you say, Brandon, I'm not sure I'm even saved. Can we all pray together? Let's pray this. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place. Lord, I know that I've sinned and I repent of my sin. I turn to you today and I surrender. Now, Lord, give me the grace and the power by the Holy Spirit, to live a life that glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Come on, can we rejoice with these this morning? Can we celebrate? Praise God. Hey, those of you that made that decision for the first time or first time in a long time, uh, there's a connection card in the, in the chair in front of you. Fill that out. Bring it to the info center. Come on. If you made that, that decision at LPCC, congratulations. Get with Chaplain Alex. If you need a Bible, she'll give you a Bible. We'll donate some uh, over there as well to get you started in, in, in your fellowship, your walk with the Lord and your discipleship. Amen. Would you stand up with me, the rest of you? If I can get the pastors and the altar team down here uh, to just be. Let's, let's pray through these. Why don't we pray through these right now? And ask the Lord, come on, that we be more unified. You know, Jesus said this, church. He said, your love for one another will show the world you belong to me. Us loving each other and being unified is one of, if not the greatest witness to the world. Amen? It's great we come to church. It's great we sing. We got to do those things, right? But us being unified. Come on, can we pray for that for greater unity? Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, may, the, may we be devoted. Come on, ask him. Lord, I want to be more devoted to you and devoted to my church family, my, my biological family, but my church family, my community of believers, Lord. I pray that we would be unified as we walk and live and follow you, Lord. May we be in that close fellowship, that kononia, Lord. I pray may we be unified. Now, come on, let's ask the Lord that, that our lives would glorify him. Come on, not just our song and worship but our whole life come on can we ask him father i pray tonight lord god whatever we're doing if if we're watching the super bowl tomorrow morning at work or at school or wednesday afternoon or or saturdays or we at the ballpark or the gym or the grocery store whether we're working or we, we're recreating lord i pray that our lives would glorify you come on ask the lord lord would you lord god be glorified through my life and my love and come on let's pray for souls to multiply i want you to pray for lost souls if you have somebody you know that's not saved come on you've been praying for call them out by name right now. Father, we pray for lost souls, Lord. Thank you for those that made a decision to get saved today, Father. I pray, Lord, for our lost loved ones that need to be saved, prodigal sons and daughters, that, Lord God, need to come to their senses and come back to you. We want to see souls multiplied, the church growing, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to be devoted to this community so we can see all of these things happen in every part of our lives. I thank you, Father, for these today. Pray you bless them. Be with them as they go. Draw closer to you, Lord, once again, and closer to each other as we're devoted to you and unified with one another. Be glorified in all that we do, Lord. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' wonderful, matchless, and powerful name we pray. Amen. And amen. Well, we love y'all. God bless you guys. Remember, you got to sign up for the retreat today. Today's the last day to sign up. Uh, if you need prayer for anything, altar ministry will be here for you. God bless you. Have a great day.